0: Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Game-Changing Predictive Machine Learning, presented by SAP, the best run SAP. You'll hear from innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo around how predictive capabilities are utilized and delivered to create real business impact. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham.
1: Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, you're in the right place. We always say it and we mean it because this is where the best run. Let's see what the buzz on the street is today. I have a quote from Kevin Mulcahy, who is a partner in a company called Future Workplace. He is partnered partner with Jeannie C. Meister. I think we've quoted her before on the Future Workplace Network. And let's see what the quote is. AI and machine learning can be an objective observer to screen for bias patterns. Now, I've introduced a bunch of buzzwords, There, AI. You know that's artificial intelligence, those of you who listen to our shows here on Game Changers Radio. Machine learning, yes, teaching machines to do repetitive tasks and learn from them, okay? Now, the interesting part is an objective observer, and that's a tongue twister, to screen for bias patterns. We're talking about bias, and human beings, we have preferences, we have prejudices, and they sneak into our work a lot of the time. Let me lower my volume here on my computer. Thank you very much. And now, let me tell you what we're going to be discussing today. Human bias exists in HR. Come on, you know it as much as you might have policies and processes saying no bias here. It exists. It creeps into hiring and promotions and the opportunities you give to your employees and a lot of other business decisions. You just can't help it. But question on the table today is can technology find the bias? Can it correctly identify that it is bias and most important can technology remove the bias what a good thought what a What an interesting and huge thought. So machine learning and predictive analytics can help HR scan for inherent bias. They can predict and minimize employee churn. That's when they use your business like a revolving door. They're in and they're out. They get hired. They leave. They take all the training with them. And it can help identify optimal recruiting channels. That's right. You want to find top talent. You want to bring them in. You want to treat them well. And you want to retain them. But Is there possibly a dark side From the human-created models and algorithms that power machine learning? Aha, if I had dark music, I would play it right now. So that's the question on the table. Our topic today is, let me look for it here, machine learning in HR, uncovering and addressing bias. Interesting word, addressing. Not removing, eliminating, banishing, abolishing, annihilating, addressing, and that's what we're trying to do. I have a panel of three experts. They all happen to be at SAP. That's just fine. Let me tell you who they are, and in a moment, we'll be hearing from them. First up, I'm welcoming back Jeff Mills, Director of Solution Management at SAP Success Factors. Welcome back, Jeff. We're welcoming a newcomer. She is Erin Roberts, Professional Services Consultant at SAP Success Factors. Nice to have you on the show today, Erin Roberts, and John Skitka, Solution Marketing at SAP, who just happens to be the sponsor of this series and who works on getting the great topics and panelists we have here on on Game Changing Predictive Machine Learning Radio. So welcome, I'm Bonnie D. Graham, as the gentleman said a few minutes ago. We're gonna start at the part of the table where Jeff Mills is sitting and Jeff has sent us a quote. Jeff, it's debatable whether the quote is a Chinese proverb or whether it was from Confucius. So I'm gonna give a little background on Confucius, the Analects, and we'll go from there. Confucius, 551 to 479 BC. They counted backwards in those days. A Chinese teacher, editor, politician, philosopher of the spring and autumn period of Chinese history. He is traditionally credited with having authored or edited many of the Chinese classic texts. But modern scholars are cautious about attributing specific assertions to Confucius himself. I'm going to read the quote and we'll decide together. Jeff sent us the following. The man who removes a mountain begins by carrying away small stones. Jeff Mills, how are you? I'm doing very well, thank you. Thanks for joining us. Talk to me about this quote. I looked it up as a proverb, and I kept seeing attributions to Confucius, which confused me because, as I just read, many of the things people say he said he did not say or did not said. So it doesn't matter. Talk to me about how the quote relates to our topic.
2: Yeah. Feels like other great thinkers, like Einstein, right? Right. Absolutely. So, um, but uh, yeah, I mean it's the, I like it because it, it just kind of takes a sense of pragmatism to things, which is you know if you want to end up doing something great and something grand in the end, you have to start somewhere small. Um, and I think as it you know relates to today's topic is um, I think a lot of people try and think that you know machine learning and artificial intelligence is the, the savior or the ender of all. Um, and uh, I don't think that's necessarily the case. I think, you know, taken in small, small doses and thought about uh, in a very thoughtful way, uh, you can start making uh, real impact and eventually get to a point where you're doing great and amazing things. But, you know, you got to you got to start somewhere and somewhere that, you know, and something that, you know, that you can tackle.
1: Very interesting. Do you think that HR is, a, is? I'm going to make a very global statement here, Jeff. Do you think most big company, big enterprise HR teams, departments, whatever you want to call them, functions, are saying, yeah, we got to admit it. Got a lot of bias here. We're not really treating everybody fairly or equally and. Well, thank God this technology is coming down the pike or up the road and we're going to use it. Do you think there's an awareness that they have to start chipping away at those small stones to take them out in a way? Or do you think a lot of companies are just saying, that's who we are, deal with it? What's, what's your observation?
2: Uh, in my observation, I, I think that <clears throat> companies normally fall into one of two camps. Um, one is that I found is typically larger organizations are much more aware of this because, one, they have the analytics, the information, the data, the potential lawsuits and everything else that goes with being a large organization to identify that these types of things are happening Mm -hmm. and having a lot of people in an organization be able to potentially bring those issues to the table. And that can be everything from uh, the gender pay equity gap to uh, bias in hiring processes. Uh, That's sort of the first camp. And then I think the second camp is, well, we don't have those issues in in kind of turning a blind eye to it um, because specifically someone hasn't, Called them out, um, or or they just have thought that that is maybe a, a one off scenario that is not necessarily uh, true across the organization, and, and I, I don't think have taken it within themselves to to look inward um, to see are there ed- other potential issues, or are there things that maybe we just aren't identifying them because they're hard, they're difficult, and they're they're not glamorous uh, topics for people to be talking about. It's sort of like, uh, I'm going to turn my head and pretend it doesn't exist.
1: Yep. Sweeping under the rug, looking the other way. Right, Jeff? Doing doing what you need to do to yeah, pretend exactly. it's not there. Exactly. Thank you very much. And and the fact that we're talking about it here on this show, and we have a series called Changing the Game with HR, we discuss it on that series as well. So it, it is probably going to be an eye-opener to a lot of people who've just been doing it same old, same old, and not even aware that the biases are there. That's what we do. That's who we are. Well, you got bias in there. Thank you very much, Jeff. Good intro to our time. And now let's go to our newcomer today, Erin Roberts. Erin has sent us a quote from I'm going to mention the name of an author. Most of you probably don't know or don't remember, LM Montgomery. It's Lucy Maud Montgomery. She wrote a book called Anne of Green Gables. It's a 1908 novel. She Lucy Lucy Maud Montgomery did publish as L period, M period Montgomery. It's considered a classic children's novel since the mid-20th century. Very interesting story. It has sold more than fifty million copies and been translated into at least 36 languages. She wrote sequels. There are authorized sequels. There's an authorized prequel. Her book is taught to schoolchildren around the world. They've made TV movies, action movies, live, t- live action, made for TV. They've done musicals and plays about it. And what was so interesting was it talks about the adventures of Anne Shirley Anne of Green Gables, an 11-year-old orphan who is mistakenly sent to two middle-aged siblings, Matthew and Marilla Cuthbert. They wanted a boy to adopt to help them work on their farm in a certain town on Prince Edward Island. And the novel is about how Anne makes her way through life with the Cuthberts, how she gets through school and in the town. So Anne of Green Gables. Here is the quote. You know I'll get to it eventually, Erin Roberts. Here's the quote. Uh, "Speaking to Anne is speaking to Marilla. Marilla, who is the sister who adopted her. Marilla, isn't it nice to think that tomorrow is a new day with no mistakes in it yet? What a great quote. Erin Roberts, how are you? I'm doing great, Bonnie. Thank you. Love the quote. Talk to me. It reminds me of an Oprah quote, something about a New Year's. I think she says we get to start with a clean slate every New Year's. Ha ha. Uh, something without the ha ha. That was mine. Talk to me. Are you a fan of L.M. Montgomery Do you have a copy of Anne of Green Gables? And how in the world did you find this quote?
3: I have a few copies of Anne of Green Gables.
1: (laughs) Um, I'm a big fan of the series,
3: um, both the books and the uh, TV and movie series. Um, Still working myself to get my daughter um, on board with being a fan, but she's not buying it
1: quite yet. (laughs) But I've got some time. Okay, no. You do well, <laughs> <laughs> well. 1908 is a little bit different because they yeah. weren't talking about right movies and phones and cars and mm-hmm. uh, and and cell phones and and the internet. So yeah, yeah that's going to exactly. be a little bit of a hard sell. So how does this relate to our topic today? We're talking about bias.
3: Yeah. Well, I think you know. Well, first of all, I mean, one of the reasons I I picked this quote, it's it's one of my favorite quotes. I you know, it's something I look at every day because it is in my office. Um it's something it, you know I think it's it really sticks with me. Um I think it fits with our topic, topic today because organizations, you know, if they're working with machine learning or predictive analytics or maybe they're not, um take a chance. You know, see see what you can learn, see how it can enhance your organization. Um you know, will they make mistakes? Probably. Mm-hmm. Um hopefully not serious mistakes. Um, but I think the quote reminds us that you know tomorrow is a new day, um, which which is a shame. There, I'm quoting another favorite book, um, but you know the point being that each day, you know, we can start fresh. We continue to learn something new, you know, putting our past mistakes behind us. You know, and I think we you know we might touch on this again later. But you know, I hope this quote really and it speaks to me about you know don't fear the possible mistakes, but let's move ahead and
1: explore you know, what we can do with predictive analytics and machine learning. Thank you, Erin. And that reminds me of what I think is one of the mantras of design thinking we talk about on Game Changers from Time to Time, fail fast, fail often but you learn yep. from your failures, right? You learn from your mistakes. We're teaching that to kids today. I think in the, back in the day, back in my day, and I don't know if anybody on this panel is old enough to remember that day, not my day anyway, uh, you had to get it right. You know, you were you were looking at perfection or at least close to 100% of anything. That was where you you strove to make everything 100% on your tests and on your report cards. Everything was straight A's at 100%. And today we're saying to younger people, Do it the best you can. Make it as good as you can. But if it doesn't quite work out, look and learn and figure it out and try it again and do it better the next time. So I guess the mantra is not just fail fast, fail often, but as you said, do it. Write the best you can and then learn from that and grow from that and just keep trying. So good way to look at our topic. Thank you, Erin, and thank you for reintroducing us to the value of Anne of Green Gables. I don't think I ever read it, and I think I'm going to have to get a uh, digital copy could. now, so I'll let you know. And joining out, running our panel... It, is John Skitka at SAP. And John has sent us a quote from GBS. That's the way he wanted to be known, actually. Uh he he <laughs> used that in his uh he was a theater critic for the Saturday Review. Of course, I'm talking about George Bernard Shaw, eighteen fifty six to nineteen fifty. John, are you back with us? John, are you here? I'm here. Good, okay, I just got a note that you had dropped. Uh, John sent us a quote from GBS, George Bernard Shaw, 1856 to 1950, known at his insistence simply as Bernard Shaw. Aha, uh, I didn't like the George part. Irish playwright, critic, polemicist, I don't even know what that is, and political activist. His influence on Western theater, culture, and politics extended from the late 1880s to his death and beyond. He wrote more than 60 plays, including, most famous of which, Man and Superman, Pygmalion, which. We know is My Fair Lady, 1912, St. Joan, 1923, and he was a theater critic I was mentioning from 1895 to 98 for the Saturday Review, and he used the byline G, period B, period S. So he was still accepting the G for George. He won the 1925 Nobel Prize in Literature, and here is the quote We are made wise not by the recollection of our past, but by the responsibility for our future. John Skitka, how are you? I am well, Bonnie. I love the quote. Talk to me. We're, we're, this is going a little bit against the grain of what I was just talking to Aaron Roberts about, about fail fast, fail often. And GBS, George Bernard Shaw saying, nah, don't look at the past. Just look at the future and grasp it. So what, where, you, where do you sit or stand on this one, John? I don't think he doesn't say don't look at the past. He says you're not made wise
4: by the recollection of the past. In other words, you can't just look at the past and think about the past. And the reason I picked the quote is he didn't talk about shaping the future or or making the future or looking at the future. He talks about the responsibility of the future. So we we, we can take a look at that collection and, and use that historic
1: mm-hmm. history
4: to shape our future, but it's not looking at the and sitting on the laurels of the past. It is looking to the future, but more importantly, looking to the responsibility we have for our future. So it's not just what is the, you know, the future can be amazing with, no, no, no. Where is the social responsibility? Where is the responsibility to make it a better future and a better future for all? And I, I think really that's where this fits with HR
1: I was just going to bring up a famous case here for Jeff and Erin to react to quickly before we get into the where are you today, what do you love to drink, and what do you do in your role. Uh, I'm looking at here, uh, there's an article October 16th. I'm looking at the New York Times. The title is Lead Counsel for Harvard in Bias Trial recalls his run-ins with discrimination. Any quick comment on that? I know we don't talk about current events on Game Changers, Jeff Mills, but any thoughts about the fact that there is a bias trial going on? Jeff
2: Mills? Um, yep. Not yet. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll, if Erin has anything, I'll, I'll let her chime in. But, um, I mean, it's as far as, like, bias cases in general, I'm not at all surprised by it. Um, mm-hmm. I think that this is related to the uh, unfair, uh, the unfair admission processes for Asian Americans. Is that correct?
1: Yes, it, the uh, university is being accused of unfairly limiting yeah. the number of Asian Americans admitted to the school. Uh, a perhaps yeah. inevitable assumption. Yes. So, yeah, Interesting. Yeah, very, very mean, And he overall. I mean, ahead. my
2: take on it is, is you know. I, If you want to get down into it, I think a lot of organizations and institutions um, can be found guilty of bias in some in some way. I I think that it is, you know, as we've discussed, is inevitable to be running into it. Um, It's when it becomes prevalent, uh, which is what is you know expected, you know, to to come out of this trial um, for Harvard. It's it's obviously it's not only just the fact of the people who you might've hurt during the process through this, but it's also, Mm -hmm. what is the black eye in the organization there? And, you know, when you start looking at organizations and institutions, your brand is kind of everything. Um, You know, if people think that you're going to be biased toward them, uh, they may not even want to go there. Uh, Donors pull, you know, money back. You have people and talent that are going to go to other places. So, I mean, it's, it's, Frankly, I'm not overly surprised by it. Um, it, It's very unfortunate, but uh, I think that it's something that has to be taken extremely serious. And it's no more this time of, uh, well, it's nice to address these things. That time is long gone. Um, You have to be
1: addressing them. Thank you. And that goes to the second part of John's quote from George Bernard Shaw, the responsibility of our future. John, you're back. I'm going to go to you. We just I just pulled up the headline from the New York Times October 16th on the bias trial uh, yeah, questioning the Harvard policies. Anything you want to – I know we don't usually do current events on the show, but it, it seemed appropriate for the topic. So any it, it, comments it from it you? It
4: is, and I, I think it's interesting because that bias can be conscious or un- unconscious. When you were talking yes. to Jeff about his quote earlier, he, he talked about, you know, sometimes it, it is a matter of turning heads or, or not us or kind of turning a blind eye. But sometimes it, it, it's not even that. Sometimes it really is a very unconscious bias. It, it, it's a bias that you, even if somebody said to you, list me all the biases, how we can avoid them, it's not something you would think of. It's not something you identify as a bias. I mean, there's there's an old parlor trick, and it, it actually still works, even mm-hmm. with. Um, the current generation, because I've watched my grandchildren learn how to read. And it in short, it basically, this mathematical formula gets down to number four. Um, you pick uh, a country in Denmark, or a country in Europe that starts with D, which is Denmark, D, E, name an elephant, uh, name a, uh, an animal that starts with E. And people invariably, in our culture, say elephant. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, you could have said elk, which is something that is... Uh, on menus these days in restaurants, all the rage on cooking shows. and, and stuff. Uh, uh, Why do you say... Why is it so predictable that I can do this trick that I can read your mind you're going to say elephant? And it's based on the fact of how we learn to read in our culture. And it's by flashcards. Whether it's the cards I learned or on the iPad like my grandkids. Yes. But A is for... Everybody apple. says apple. Apple, B is for sure. Right. B is for elephant. Yeah. So, it, it yet, if I did that, so I presume that A is for Apple, B is for Ball, E is for Elephant, so everybody knows that. But if I did that with somebody who learned English as second language, or someone who didn't, from our cultural pool, um, outside of it, who didn't learn via these flashcards, all of a mm-hmm. sudden they have no idea what I'm talking about. But yeah. I don't even see that as a bias, because to me it's so natural and so normal and so ingrained but how do, unless somebody from the outside points that out, how do I even see it as a bias? So to me, this is where the biggest challenge we have is, is how do we even identify the biases we don't know we have and yes. then use things to screen for this? And I'm hoping that AI and machine learning can be that unbiased outside eye.
1: Isn't that interesting? And, and then we will talk about, and Aaron, I'm going to get to you in a second, we, we will talk about, John, who the people are who were creating the algorithms and programming and coding these systems, these technologies, if any, of our slash their biases creep into how they program these new processes. There's always that risk that you're bringing in what you think is right and what you think is natural. Erin Roberts, love to get your your quick thoughts on this, the article or anything we've just discussed.
3: Well, I just want to say, John, that was fascinating um, <laughs> as a great example of, of unconscious bias. Um, I'm really excited to hear that. I think, you know, I think not a whole lot just on the on the, the headline you saw. I think it's maybe just a sign of the times, right? As, yeah. As organizations, as, you know, as Jeff said earlier, some organizations are aware and some are, are not yet. Um, and as they start to focus more on bias, um, you know, we're going to perhaps see more and more of that.
1: Yeah. It, a funny story, my mom, who passed away a year ago at the age of 100, one month and 15 days, lived by herself in a big apartment building, not a facility, didn't have an aide, didn't have anything, just a housekeeper once every two weeks, insisted on her independence. But the, the uh, three towers, they are three towers of fairly high-end living in, on Long Island, New York. And my mother told me that the board was trying to stop, quote-unquote, old people from moving in. And my mom was there for 25 years when she was 75 and up, and she told me that she hated to see the walkers and the motorized carts parked outside the restaurant because she didn't like living among old people. And she she was 100 when she passed away in her own bed in her own apartment. But uh, the board was trying to not get the reputation. So we're not just talking businesses, are we, John? We're talking about communities. We're talking about colleges. We're talking about where. Where can AI and machine learning help to make policy decisions that are, quote-unquote, best for the future and responsible? John, any quick comment on that? I know I threw, threw a ringer in there, but any thoughts on that, John? I'm sure you do. I, I do, Bonnie, and I, I, I
4: think you're right, because we talk about responsibility for the future. We're starting with HR. We're starting, I mean, when you look at North America, it's one of the major factors in our life, uh, major influencers in, 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 our, in our daily activities. Um, and it shapes us greatly. But you're right. We, we can start, we have to start someplace. But well, we can go beyond that and we can start looking at, you know, bias in other areas and ways of screening for that bias. Uh, to me, HR is a really good place to start because yes. it's a good test bed. There's a wealth of data already on that uh, that can be used. But you're right. We can expand beyond this as we shape that responsible future that is clear of bias, um, conscious or unconscious. Uh, across the entire social spectrum
1: thank you very much i appreciate that let's go around to jeff mills and i'm going to get this back on track jeff three questions for you number one where in the world are you today number two what's your favorite drink that powers you i'm looking at a photo of you i assume it's a natural backdrop it's a huge mountain it looks like with snow on the peak and i'm wondering where you were and the third question is what do you do in your role at sap success factors jeff mills go ahead
2: Alright, um, so I am in Portland, Oregon. Uh, it's actually sunny, which is kind of crazy, seeing that it's yes. October. Um, the picture is actually from uh, Mirren, uh Switzerland, which is outside oh. of Ladderbrunnen, kind of up in the hills, and that was from doing some wonderful hiking uh, on a trip I took there a couple years ago. Um, and then as far as my role uh, within SAP SuccessFactors, uh, I focus on the talent acquisition side of the house. So as it relates to this topic, um, you know, we have a lot of drive within the market, uh, within the industry uh, around the use of artificial intelligence and machine learning, uh, the need for bias in the recruiting process, and uh, so, I mean, there's this, this topic could not be more relevant, uh, I think, than in almost any other part of HR. Uh, is it's you know being fueled by a ton of technology and technology advancements and startups and everything else. So, uh, it's I'm really excited about what we're going to be talking about.
1: Thank you. Did you give me your drink, Jeff Mills? I don't remember hearing what you love to drink when you were maybe when oh, you no. were in, oh, in Switzerland. Um, no, that's okay.
2: It is a it is a sunny day, so I think it's going to be a mai tai day. Going back to a traditional, you know, tiki cocktail from 1944. Yes. Um And you, and you want the recipe, don't you? I I, I
1: do. I do. I've looked it up already. You know that I used to go to Trader Vic's, and we used to order my tie along with the the poo poo platter and the uh, bacon wrapped scallops. And oh my goodness gracious, such good food! A Trader Vic was a restaurant that was in all major cities. I think I yeah. went to the Boston one, the New there's York a, one, the Seattle one. Yeah. So, so th-
2: there's a lot of uh, variances of it, but. It's basically an ounce of lime juice, an ounce of dark rum like Meyer's rum, an ounce of Martinique rum, also known as agricole, a uh, mm-hmm. half ounce of orange curacao, a uh, quarter ounce of orgeat, and a quarter ounce of just sugar syrup. So a oh uh, handful God. of things to go into it, but man, it is a delicious and tasty beverage.
1: I remember it. My goodness. I'm looking at the official one, uh, the first one that came up at All Recipes, cocktail based on rum, curacao, or jat syrup, and lime juice associated with Polynesian-style settings. And Mai Tai, which is M-A-I-T-A, and then the I is in quotes after, is the Tahitian word for, do you know what the word's for, Jeff, what it stands for?
2: Uh, I did at one point, but I don't remember it anymore.
1: The word is good. It stands for good. Mai Tai is one word, but it became That's separated right. into two words and hyphenated or capitalized for the recipe. Thank you very much. And you can look it up on Wikipedia or liquor.com. That was interesting. I don't think we've ever had a Mai Thai here. I'm going to have to go get one this afternoon. Oh, Jeff, you, devil you. Aaron you. Roberts, where are you in the world today? What do you love to drink? And what's your role at SAP SuccessFactors?
3: I am in the unusually cold and wet central Texas, specifically in mm. San Antonio. Um, my role at SAP is I'm um, a consultant for the SAP SuccessFactors products, uh, focusing on the reporting functionality, so helping our customers uh, make the most of the reporting tools that we have available, which you know, some of that would be making sure they can get that data out so they can play with predictive analytics. And modeling. so. Um, Good. What do I like to drink? Um, well, I'm drinking water today just because I you know, don't want to have to uh, cough. <laughs> but uh, okay. I don't really love water. Um, I do flavor my water with Dasani or Mio drops because I don't like water. Um, and, you know, a little flavor in it makes it help go a long way.
1: It but, does. Uh, when you're, if you're not
3: eat, drinking water, what's your real favorite? Yeah, um, well, during the day, a Diet Coke, but hopefully tonight, a homemade margarita.
1: Ooh, what
3: goes into your margarita? Uh, Some nice tequila, some Contro, and some Roses limeade. Very strong. It's actually more of a margaritini. Margaritini.
1: (laughs) I've never heard that before. Thank you for I learned it on a cruise ship. I made them teach it to me. Wow, you made them. I can see that now. Hello, I'm a paying customer. I want to know how you made that drink. I want to take the recipe exactly. home with me and thank you very much. I can see you now. I just sent a, a picture of the Mai Tai from a Jeff's drink to Aaron, our engineer, and I'll have to find a picture of what you're drinking as well. Thank you very much, Aaron. John Skitka, no competition here. What's your favorite drink? Where are you and what are you up to these days?
4: What well, am up to these days? Well, I'm in uh, Waterloo, Ontario, Canada, about uh, 40 miles uh, west of Toronto, Ontario, Canada, our largest city up here. Uh, still uh, working uh, at SAP focused on machine learning and predictive analytics and the wonders and, and, and social good it can bring to the world. Um, What's in my cup? Lombard Old Master's Blended Scotch. I mean, it's got to be 5 o'clock someplace in the world, and everybody else is having <laughs> alcoholic drinks. Um, and it's kind of funny, with all the hoopla around single cask, and everybody's into, um, you know, one-of-a-kind, unique... You know, mm-hmm. people blended Scotch for a long time, and there was a reason for it. It's like a good sherry. or a good. I mean, you get a balance, you get... So sometimes some, the blended Scotches are actually some of the better... Uh, Scotches because you do get a, a true balance and a true taste. It's something that is, is is manufactured and made versus uh, um, just what you get uh, out of that particular
1: batch. Very interesting. I'm looking at Lombard Old Masters here on the Lombard website. John slash Old Masters one word. Dot HTML Freemasons Whiskey, ninety two points. Uh, the perfect nose to experience blindfolded. How else they say? As the depth of the fruit and grain and their happy intermingling is astonishing. A few underripe gooseberries here. Light graceful arrival with the early emphasis on the Speyside malt theme before some grain and. Oak kinks in, finish pretty long with touches of cocoa, Through though the fresh malt lingers. A high-quality blend that doesn't stint on the malt. The nose in particular is sublime. Does that sound about right, John?
4: That sounds about right.
1: Okay, well, I hope I made it poetic enough. Please say yes.
4: You definitely did.
1: Thank you. You're very sweet. Okay. Erin, <laughs> to your point, all they, they all they let me have on radio show days is water. I'm not allowed near caffeine, but I did go to a neighborhood coffee this morning before the first show, and I had a little bit of caffeine, but I think I'm handling it pretty well, and you can imagine why I'm not allowed to have caffeine. I'm here in Durham, North Carolina. The sky is, I have to tell you, half blue off in the distance and nearer to me. It's a heavy cover of beautiful white fluffy clouds, so we have a, a multicolored sky today. We are going through a post-summer temperature change here. We start out about 48 degrees at night and can go all the way up to 80 during the day. The garden is completely confused. It doesn't know whether it's summer, spring, or fall. It's just sure it's not winter yet. So I have to negotiate, having been here a year and seeing a lot of the new plants just burning up this summer. I have to figure out what I'm going to do for the fall gardening, and we will take care of that at the State Fair on Monday. I'm going to be buying some azaleas, so there, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. We're going to skip our break, lady and gentlemen, because we've had such a good conversation so far. John, I don't want to lose any time here. We're talking about a very important topic, machine learning in HR, uncovering and addressing bias, and as I said at the opening, uncovering finding it, identifying it, naming it, describing it, and then addressing. We aren't saying that we can eliminate it, but we need to address it, and that may take a long process, a long time. My special guests are Jeff Mills and Erin Roberts, she spells her first name, E-R-I-N, at SAP Success Factors, and the sponsor of this series, John Skitka at SAP. So let's go take a look, Jeff Mills, at the statements you sent me about the topic. Before the show, let me just quickly pick one here. Um, Let's see. Uh, Okay. I'm going to do a little historical look up here from something you said, Jeff Mills. You say the, the elimination of bias via machine learning is a great utilization of AI and ML. And frankly, I am surprised it took this long. Jeff Mills, let's get your point of view on this. Then I will invite Aaron to comment and John, and then I'll pick a statement from Aaron. We'll go around the table and then one from John. So Jeff Mills.
2: Yeah. Um, so, uh, the reason why I think that it's important, and talk about you know why it took so long and all that, is, I mean my my perception of this is is that um, people are unpredictable uh, and also extremely predictable. Um, but you know, mm-hmm. in the world of HR, it's a lot of unstructured data. There's a lot of uh, specific use cases. There's a lot of different ways that bias can be interjected throughout the process of, of you know, the employee relationship from recruiting to compensation cycles to performance evaluations, um, you know, all the way through to, you know, how people were picked during, you know, times of termination uh, or downsizing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's just, it's a very good, use case for having a broad number of uses of identifying bias so you can help inform one another. So when I think about you know why did it end up taking so long and I think it's also because it's just scary for people. Um, it took them a long time to I think get to a point where they started to feel comfortable about using a machine to determine, or impact a person's fate thinking that, you know, things could go very, very poorly, but also it's because, you know, HR is not necessarily known as being the early adopters of technology. um, And they're not seen as necessarily the drivers of, uh, of revenue. So when you, when those two uh, associations are made, it doesn't necessarily lead to HR being one of the first adopters of new technology. So uh, I'm glad that it's here. Um, and I think that there's a lot of potential benefit for what can come from that, um, but there's also a lot of things that can go wrong, and I'm sure we'll talk about it later, um, but that's kind of my take on that.
1: Thank you very much. Let's go quickly around the table. Aaron Roberts, agree or disagree with Jeff's take on his perspective? What do you think? Oh, no, I agree. I think, you
3: know, the, the key thing you said, John, that I really lightened me up is the fear, and I think that's A lot of what organizations are are struggling with, whether it's the fear of do they know how to do it or it's the fear of what the results might be, Um, you know, and that people are unpredictable, as you said. And, you know, I'm not an expert in marketing, but obviously people are, are really good at marketing and figuring out purchasing um, and, and predicting what people will buy and what they won't—obviously, they make mistakes at times. So, I think it's about time that you know HR does start to play in that space, and let's, you know, let's not rely on it 100% because of the unpredictability of of people and free will. Um, but you know, let's take advantage of the masses of data that we now have um, in HR functions uh, across all organizations to try and see what we can do to. Know, to help our businesses, um, whether it's retaining employees or, um, you know, um, making the
1: right hiring decisions. Thank you, Erin. John Skitka, join us. What do you think? Yeah, I, I mean,
4: I, I, I think it's true. I mean, one of the biggest problems is admitting you have a problem. Uh, For a number Mm -hmm. of reasons, especially in in, in a company where our reputation and everything is there. And the last thing you want to do is bring up the fact you have a problem, because other people might think less of you for it, rather than thinking more of you for understanding you have a problem and trying to address it. Um, And, you know, I I think there is a reluctance. We have, for the longest time, relied on people and instinct. And there are people who have their jobs solely because they have a good quote-unquote instinct. Um, They're able to predict and and think, and I think there's a reluctance to let go, to let something, I mean, it's always hard enough to let control go to begin with, but to let control go to a quote-unquote non-human is a very difficult thing, because you're taking the human out of it. Uh, Humans are no longer in control, But, but you have to realize the machine isn't making the decision, the machine is making suggestions. Humans still make the decisions and the actions. But I think the machines can do a very good job of, and we'll get, as you said, to it later uh, in terms of who programs it, but they can do a very good job of showing some of the bias we have uh, and helping us to make those decisions aware of that bias. I won't say bias-free, but at least aware Mm -hmm. of the bias so that we can counter it uh, and we can then go forward. So it, it gives us an objective view.
1: Thank you and that was why we picked that's why you and your your team put the word addressing rather than eliminating in the title of this episode. John, very well done. I'm moving on to some notes here from Aaron Roberts. Here's an interesting one, Aaron. You say while predictive analytics and machine learning can be very insightful in beginning to understand data and can help in decision making, we are not at a point and maybe never will be where we can rely solely on this information. So how much are we still going to have people making that Final decision on hiring or promotion. What? Well, what's your thought on that, Erin? Yeah, I think it's a good
3: point to follow up from what John was saying. Um,
1: mm-hmm.
3: You know, do we do we really want a world where machines are are actually making those decisions for us? Um, you know, I think you know that we humans still have free will. We still need to take that into account. Um, you know, for you know, we might. You know, just thinking about uh, retention, we might predict that someone has a high chance of retention, but what we don't know is going on in their personal life, and the machine's not going to know that, but an HR professional might know that through having, you know, friendly conversations with an employee and know that, you know, perhaps their spouse is looking uh, to take on a new job, or they have a dream, as I had once, of an employee who wanted to travel the world. Um, I never would have... You know, I don't think a machine could have predicted that he was going to leave the organization. Um, but he, you know, he wanted to go travel for six months. So, you know, I don't think you know the machines alone can know everything. We don't necessarily have all the data that we can give a machine or, 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 or a bot to make those predictions. And so, we still need the human interaction that we have with one another to add, the, add to those decisions that we would make um, based upon. You know the machine telling us what they th- it thinks, plus what we know that's not necessarily
1: hard data. Thank you very much, John. Thoughts on that, please, John Skidka.
4: So I'm just going to expand on that a little bit. I mean, in other words, what you just gave an example of is the fact that everything that is machine learning, AI, is based on data. The quality of the data, the amount of the mm-hmm. data, the type of the data. It, the data has to exist and has to fit in order mm-hmm. to make the prediction uh, reliable and effective. So the in the example you gave, the HR professional had additional information that the machine didn't have. And I would challenge that what we need is more complete input then. So if the mm-hmm. HR professional becomes aware of something extraneous, i.e., oh, you always wanted to travel the world, oh, your spouse is looking, then we can plug that in. and therefore enrich that data set we have and therefore make the prediction that I'm much more um, reliable and, and, and more efficient. Um, and and you know, if the machine, they, I understand that, as I've always said, the, the machines give input, we make the decisions. Mm-hmm. But almost as in the case of, of um, automated cars, if humans driving cars will have a, and this is arbitrary, I, figures aren't real, Bonnie, Uh, a Mm -hmm. 10% accident rate. (laughs) And a machine guiding a car will have a 5% accident rate. It's not perfect, Mm -hmm. but it's better. So will we prefer the machine to drive the car and have 5% less accidents, i.e., in HR, 5% less errors, or do we want to leave it solely to humans um, who will still perhaps have that inbred bias somewhere um, and go against the machine in error As opposed to looking at the objective.
1: Very interesting. I know they've done uh, questions, they've done some uh, predictive analytics in medical diagnoses, John. You're probably aware of some of the studies where they Mm -hmm. compared it to human medical professionals doing the diagnoses, and the error rate on the diagnostics was so much less with the machine. Not perfect but so much less consistently mm-hmm. i don't remember where the study was it was something was uh, noted on one of our shows earlier this but year but that
4: comes in bonnie to the amount of data because the machine yes. can process massive amounts of data that the human is unable to process
1: yep very well put let's see if we can get jeff mills on this jeff what do you think humans as part of the decision are we ready for that or are we going to rely on our analytics
2: yeah um, Uh, yeah i mean people are always going to be part of it and the machine is gonna is is at this point of helping us to inform right i mean so i echo the the statements of of erin and john quite a bit now i I mean i do think that you do run into this situation of let's take a real world uh, situation of um amazon recently if you guys have seen in the news had to pull back it's AI-powered recruiting machine because it was very Mm -hmm. good at identifying bias and hiring for it. Um, So it was doing the exact opposite of what they were actually trying to do. Hmm. Um, And it shows that there was a level of control that was given to the machine um, in a way that was, I would just say, inappropriate. Um, Now, there obviously has to be checks and balances with everything along the way, but... You know John's point of you know we have to give it more data and it's and then it can help make that decision. It's more than just more data it's the right data and the problem and where people i think can run into some level of issues where you almost have to develop AI as a form of a consortium with a lot of diverse thinking and thought um And different uh, ideas is to leverage a broad enough data set so the information you're putting into the machine is actually going to be relevant at identifying potential biases. Because if you do something like, let's say, you take a closed environment like Amazon, right? So Mm -hmm. for their hiring, they base it off of the people that they hired in the past, which was predominantly male. So they built this AI to say, hey, help us find the right uh, the right." people to work here. And lo and behold, it mostly came out male. So when you get into the situation where your data set is not broad enough and not encompassing enough, I think the machine in that sense can be a hindrance. So whether it's the human or the machine, they both have their own sets of egos and bias. The machine just doesn't know it because it was trained that way. And the Mm -hmm. people don't want to address it or may not think it's as big of an issue so i think the two have to go hand in hand i think you have to have um a level of uh human and machine in there to help inform decision making but there's problems with both i think as as you stated right it's not perfect but i do think that uh there's a different set of challenges when the machine is introduced
1: Thank you. All good reality checks. And I have to read one little statement here in Erin's note. She says if your predictive analytics study doesn't provide jaw dropping results, don't give up. Keep Digging. Thank you, Erin. That was very, very telling. John, we have just a couple of minutes here, believe it or not, three minutes until we start our predictions round. So I'm going to ask you, John Skitguy, looking at your notes here and talking about making progress, easier digging a ditch uh using a backhoe than with a shovel. Uh we strive for perfection. You already covered that. Humans air twelve percent of the time, machine learning based systems only are seven percent of the time. You can't go for perfect, you gotta gotta keep moving along. So why don't we go with your last statement, John? and have you briefly explain it. You say analytics and machine learning paint a picture of the reality of a given point in time from a given data set. The challenge is to extrapolate a picture of the future and we know the world is dynamically changing as we speak. So, John, what's the hope here? Maybe you want to to turn this into your prediction or do you want to just make a statement about it? I'll leave that up to you, John. How about
4: I do both? Uh, Okay. So, basically, it really comes down to what we were just talking about, the data. In other words the machine does a very good job of painting a picture at a point in time. I have historical data. And again, going back to my quote, we can recall the past, but that doesn't mean that we can build a responsible future. Because it tells me what things looked like at that point in time from that given data set. The problem is extrapolating from that data set to what a future will be in a world where that data set is going to change and will change and probably change in random ways. Now, I'm saying that with human bias. The, the machine in 10 years may be able to do that. Um, but that's where I'll, I'll turn this into that uh, prediction piece. I, I think that really what we're going to see going forward, whether it is here, whether it is in our home life, whether it is in our car, is and then we'll all have our own Pip-Boy, uh, if you're in, into Fallout. Um, we'll all have our own personal assistant with us, who knows us, knows what we do, knows where we're going, guides us, and has an ever-growing data set with which it can get to know us and get to guide us. And that data will come from a number of places and points. But I think the true challenge is that getting, as Jeff mentioned, not just data, the right data, to to be able to drive that, Picture and that future, I think, really is what is key, uh, and and really is the the biggest challenge we have.
1: Interesting, and and John, it all starts with the people who developed all this technology, and then if we go to machine learning and the machines are gathering data and learning from their own learning experience, quote unquote, their own processes, how to how do humans get back into that process? I I think addressing bias is really the exactly right word you picked for this episode title because we're we're never going to perfectly get rid of it. And people always want to be around people they know, they understand, they like, they want to spend their work day with, they want to interact with, so we're always going to have some of that. Was it people like us? Isn't that how companies were formed originally? They wanted people to work with them that they, they could get along with. Look at the amount of time we spend at work. I'm going to leave that sidebar alone. Jeff Mills, I'm ready for your prediction. I've got 60 seconds with your name on them, Jeff. Love to have you share what you think will change about this machine learning in HR, uncovering and addressing bias. Where will we be Jeff, I don't know, between 2020 and 2025, you want to make a prediction? My,
2: my take on this is that, I mean, there's going to be a lot of learning and discovery that takes place. And I think there's going to be a lot of hurdles that people, you know, have to jump over over the coming years in the practical utilization of AI. So to the point of, you know, consortiums of, you know, uh Uh, 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 organizations that are building machine learning and rules and regulations and, you know, proper usage of data or at least a number, there's going to have to be some level, I think, of checks and balances that eventually go into AI. That will probably come when it's used more in, in public sector settings, Um, but I think that there's going to have to be some level of checks and balances that go in and and take place and learn from, you know, prior mistakes to protect us from mistakes that are being made. I mean, everyone is going to probably make a Terminator reference at some point, but, um, you know, what it comes down to is we don't want to get into a situation where the machines are, uh, essentially making decisions for us. And I, I think if we can put some additional protections in place, um, and especially as it deals with people, um, the better, you know, I think the better we're going to be in a better situation we're going to actually be in. Uh, because as soon as you start, deal- you know, messing with people's lives and their ability to make money and mm-hmm. their ability to provide for families in a way that is determined potentially and ultimately by a machine, uh, there's going to be a lot of challenges, I think, that are are, are ahead of people. And Thank you, smart- Jeff. Smart AI is going to have to be uh, the leader there.
1: Thank you, Smart AI. That's what we're looking for, Erin Roberts. I have sixty seconds left with your name on them. Give me your prediction, please.
3: Yeah, I think it. You know, it goes back to what we're. You know, that bias and that fear we were talking about earlier. Um, mm-hmm. You know, my my thoughts on how we're still going to have humans involved in decisions is my own bias, right? That I don't want to be out of a job because <laughs> the machines are doing it all for me, right? Um, but I think I think both the guys are right. Um, you know, I think we'll as we gather more data, um, we'll see some more more organizations hopefully, um, you know, playing in this world. But as as Jeff was saying, we also need to be careful. Um, we don't want to see a whole lot more headlines like you were you brought up earlier today mm-hmm. of what's going on uh, with Harvard. So yep. I also wanted to say to you know to John's uh, personal assistant, I feel like my phone already is because it tells me when you know. When I get in the car, it's predicting where I'm going to go and tells me how long it's going to take me to get there.
1: (laughs) I like to laugh at it when it's wrong. (laughs) (laughs) There there you go. Thank you very much. John, I'm going to give you 20 seconds to wrap this up. Any comments you want to make before I close? Because we're just about there.
4: I think the future is going to be amazing, Bonnie. Um, I think it's a future that, honestly, as much as we predict, we we really can't guess at. I mean, Dick Tracy's watch was seen as this fantastic futuristic thing, that, yes. and yet I have one on my wrist, and I can actually take calls on it. So I now have a Dick Tracy watch. So I think the future is going to be wilder than we can even imagine. I think we just have to be careful to guide it and shepherd
1: it responsibly. Thank you. Beautifully put. Thank you to Jeff Mills at SAP Success Factors, Aaron Roberts also at SAP Success Factors, and John Skidka at SAP. And a shout out, of course, to Aaron Keller at World Talk Radio, the business channel, our engineer extraordinaire who just makes sure we get on the air and stay there. With class and aplomb. There's a new word for you. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. Yeah, you still got to do it on your own. I think so. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today, just like Jeff Mills at SAP Success Factors, just like Aaron Roberts at SAP Success Factors, and just like John Skitka at SAP Success Factors. I'll be back tomorrow morning. That's Thursday, the 18th of October, 2018. Where is the year gone? 10 a.m. Eastern right here on The business channel with another live edition of internet of things with game changers you don't want to miss it have a great afternoon
0: bye bye thanks again for tuning in to game changing predictive machine learning presented by sap the best run sap To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Wednesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.